Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So, how many of you would say this morning, would you say, hey, I have some enemies? You can keep, you don't have to raise your hand, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, maybe you'd be like, yes, it's the neighbors upstairs. I don't know what they're doing, but it sounds like they're herding goats up there, right? It's super loud. They keep me awake, and they are my enemies. Last night, I was laying in bed. It was probably 1230, and I had fallen asleep and woken up and fallen asleep, and then these people went by my house yelling and talking, and I was wide awake. They were my enemies last night, right? Um, Or maybe it's like, yes, my enemy is that person who sits next to me at work or in class, and they breathe really loudly, right? They're just a mouth breather, and I can't handle it, and I need them to go away. No. Uh, So we all face problems and difficulties with people at some point in time. And we all have times when we get so fed up with something, so frustrated that we just want it to end. Right? And the Bible actually has a lot to say about enemies and how to deal with them and even asks God to destroy them. We'll get into this this morning. We're going to break this down as we read our scripture and see what this is all talking about. But part of this is this overflow of the heart that even in our frustration, even in our weakness, we can cry out to God. And you'll see that difference this morning when we read the scripture. The, psalm, the, 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 the psalmist who wrote this He wasn't doing things to people. He was saying, God, would you do something? Would you take care of this? All right? So, overflow of the heart that even in our frustration and anger and desperation, we can let those things overflow to God. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 83. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll read that here in a few minutes. This is a type of psalm called an imprecatory psalm, right? Imprecatory. Can you say that with me? It's fun to say. Imprecatory. You can say it, it's good, right? What it means, we're going to break this down, it means to invoke or call down curses. Whoa, that's intense, right? Hang on, hang with me, we'll get through that. So when you read the book of Psalms, there's about 22 of these or so that are specifically people saying, God, would you destroy these enemies that are around us? Would you take care of them? Would you do something? In each of these Psalms, these imprecatory Psalms, they often have this underlying question of why? God, why are you allowing this? Why won't you do something? Have you ever felt like that? Where we said, God, what is happening? I don't understand this. And these psalms often have that under the surface of people saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you not doing something? These psalms often ask God to destroy or bring judgment upon people. And they always include this this cry for help that says, God, help They say, God, you are a God of justice. Now act out of your justice. Bring judgment upon people. It's like telling a judge, hey, today, go do your job. Be a good judge, right? And these prayers to God are often saying, God, you are a righteous and good judge. Please be righteous and judge correctly, right? So we don't need to be afraid of these psalms. We can read them sometimes and be like, oh, that feels kind of weird. Why are we destroying things, right? We don't have to be afraid of these psalms. We don't have to leave them out of our Bibles or of our Bible reading. Why? Because they're inspired by God to help us better understand God and his kingdom. 
They're not there by accident. God's word is a perfect treasure. And these are given to us by God that we understand him more. Okay, but wait a minute. Didn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies and to pray for our enemies? Yes, he did. And so do these prayers, these imprecatory psalms, do they exist for times when we're angry about something and we're angry at someone for cutting us off or for taking our parking spot and we just say, God, destroy them. No, obviously, that's not what they're for, right? Abby and I have some enemies right now. It's pretty serious because it's a daily, I can't even keep a straight face, right? It's a daily struggle and our enemies are the construction workers, right? Because they're doing construction. Many of you have been to our house, right? And it's right outside, literally right outside the door. And they're not supposed to make noise till 7 a.m., but they show up at sometimes 5.45, 6. And the guys themselves, their machines aren't running, but those guys are talking and laughing and telling jokes. We don't even know what they're laughing about every morning. They are so loud, right? And uh, they make a lot of noise. They arrive early. And then that, once they get going, the house just like shakes all day long. It's so loud, right? So are we supposed to love our enemies? Are we supposed to pray for them? For God to bring destruction on them? Which one is it, right? We should love them. Really, they're not our enemies. We get that, right? They're just doing their job. But you get the point. These psalms aren't there for us to just be like, I don't like that. God, destroy them. That's not the point, right? We don't pray for God to destroy people out of just our individual spite or dislike against people, even difficult situations or difficult people. That's not, what it's, that's not the point. Because we are called by Jesus to love our enemies, to love the people around us that sometimes are, are doing things against us, are difficult to deal with. We are called to love people. So then what are these psalms, what are these imprecatory psalms getting at? We see in Psalm 83, and if you read the other imprecatory psalms also, here's what they're getting at. They're not just a cry for, they're not a mere cry for vengeance for God to do something. Rather, they are a plea for the righteous God to demonstrate his sovereignty by defending his chosen people. I'm going to read that again because that's important to understand the point of these things, right? They're not just God destroy them. No, they are a, they, these are prayers, a plea for the righteous God. They're asking God to demonstrate his sovereignty, his power, his righteousness by defending his chosen people. This is important. We're going to break this down as we keep going. This is kind of a side, side note. You ready? Okay. Um, yeah, side note. This idea of God's chosen people is important because here's a fact. In the Bible, we see God destroying people, right? We see sometimes entire cities or nations. Why? And we can look at that, and you may look at those sometimes and be like, I don't know that I like that. I don't know how I feel about that, of God, this God who we say is a loving God, and yet he's wiping people out, right? And we can struggle with that. And there's aspects of it that we may not fully grasp, right? Why do we see a loving God destroying people? Well, we step back and look at the big picture. First of all, we see that God is sovereign and we're not. He sees a bigger picture than we do. And often in the Old Testament, when someone is being destroyed, it's because there has been generation after generation after generation of people rebelling against God. And God is showing his mercy by saying, I'm going to end this so that it doesn't get worse. But it's okay to struggle with that tension and that question. We look at these psalms because it can be it, it's tough. It's tough to see, well, how is God like that? And yet what we see is the love of God and the righteousness and justice of God. But when we look at the big picture, here's, there, there's a reason why this happened. Because in the Old Testament, the Israelite people were God's chosen covenant people. He chose them that through the Israelite people, 
Jesus would come. The Messiah would come. So we see God calling his people to holiness. We see God protecting them from pressures from the outside and from sin and problems from within. In our scripture today, God's people are called his treasured ones. And we'll see that when we read that God is holy and he wanted his people to remain holy because through the Israelite people, Jesus, the Messiah, would come. So because of God's covenant with his people, their flourishing and their holiness mattered to God. You fast forward to the church today. God is concerned about the flourishing and the holiness of his church, of his people. And there are enemies that come against anyone or, any that li- or anything that lifts up Jesus as the only way to God. As individual followers of Jesus, we will face enemies. And as a church, we will face enemies. And we'll, we'll unpack more of what that is. All right? all right, so that was a very long intro. But here we go. Right? We're going to read our passage now. You're going to hear a lot of strange names and places. Hang with me. I'll explain them. And if you need like name ideas for a child or a pet or something, pay close attention. All right? Okay? You with me? We're going to read Psalm 83. It'll be here on the screen as well. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher has also, also has joined them. They are, they are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna. See, I told you, there's some names here, right? Who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. All right, we're going to dig into this. It's intense, right? There's a lot going on in this passage. Let me give you some background quickly before we move forward. Often the Psalms were written as a result of some situation. When you look in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible, there was a king named Jehoshaphat, and he was leading the, 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 the people of God. And he got a message that there were three armies coming against God's people, and they were coming to destroy them, and they were on their way. Like it was already happening, and he says, hey, they're on. somebody comes and says, hey, these three armies, they're on their way to destroy you. The king then was a godly king, and he led people to seek the Lord. He gathered them to pray and to fast and to seek God. And as he prayed, you can read the prayer in 2 Chronicles 20, he remembered how God had been faithful in the past. And he ends his prayer with this, saying this. He says, For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. How many of you have seen movies like Lord of the Rings, things like that, where there's these like massive armies that come? That's this picture, this great horde of people. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And then he says this prayer. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
Man, that's powerful. When there's attack, when things are happening, and we come to a point where at the end of ourselves, we say, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you. Jehoshaphat leads the people to look to God, and God tells them, God says, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. And God says, I'm going to fight for you. And they trusted God, and they said, okay. They trusted God to the point where they said, tomorrow, God told them, tomorrow when you go out to the battlefield, send the singers first. Send the musicians first. Now, typically, these are not the warriors, right? Okay, if you've ever been part of, like, you know, in high school, marching band and choir, these are not the warriors typically. If I'm offending someone, I'm sorry, but it's just not in general, right? But he says, send out the singers first. Because it makes a whole lot more sense to say, send out your best warriors first, right? Send out the singers, and as they go, let them lift up the name of God. Let them proclaim, our God is good. Our God is everlasting. His love never fails. And they go out singing, and they go to the battlefield, and when they arrive on the scene, they look, and everyone's dead. God had caused confusion where these three armies just started destroying each other, and they were wiped out. God had destroyed their enemies. God had rescued his people and protected them. And God showed his power and his glory. When you read the story, all the other nations around stood back and said, whoa, what just happened there? That's the one true God. This is where this story, this is where this psalm comes from. And so when it says, God, do not keep silence. Your enemies are coming against you. God, destroy them. It is a prayer during this situation of desperation of saying, God, we're under attack and you've got to do something because we can't do it. We are powerless we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is the background of why this psalm is here. All right, so as we go through, um, we're going to look at four major points as we kind of walk through the text. And then we will, uh, at kind of after that, we have a few points of dealing. So there's multiple points. So keep notes, stay, tra- stay on track with me, and uh, we'll go through. So point number one, God, do something. Point number two, we are under attack. God, uh, destroy our enemies, and God, show your power. Now, the sermon points are all yelling at you today. They all have exclamation points, right? It's on purpose because there was an urgency here. They are saying, God, you've got to do something. There is an army literally coming now. God, we need you to do something. All right, so here's what's happening in the passage. Very beginning, God, do something. In verse 1, we see it says, God, do not keep silence. Kind of break that down. It says, God, don't not do anything, right? tracking with me there? Like, God, don't just sit there. God, don't not do anything. God, don't be silent. God, take action. Do something. And this verse comes out of a deep place of fear, of pain, of saying, God, you have to act. God, where are you? You need to do something. Help. Right? How simple is that? When we come down to the end of ourselves, we just say, God, help. God, I need you. That's what this prayer is beginning with. And many of us have been there. We've been in those situations where we said, I don't know what to do, but God, help. And sometimes it's the most honest and deep prayer that we can pray. God, help. Because we like to think, okay, if I have a long, everything figured out and a long flowery prayer and it sounds nice, then God will hear that. But God hears our honesty. God hears when we cry out and say, God, I need you. God, help. It's an acknowledgement that he is God. And that he's good and strong. That one simple word, help. God, don't be silent. Please do something. Is an acknowledgement of saying, we can't, but you can because you're good, because you're strong. And Psalm 83 comes from this situation because they're under attack. And it's a cry for God to act. It's an overflow of their hearts of saying, God, 
don't be silent. We need you to do something. All right? So point number one, the first thing we see, they are crying out, God, do something. Secondly, we are under attack. Verse 2 says, for behold, right? This is the reason for the crying out. He says, behold, hey, look, pay attention. We're under attack. When I was a kid, I remember very distinctly going to this river with my family. Um, I was probably five maybe six, maybe four. I don't know. It gets foggy, right? Um, but we went to this river, and, you know, I grew up kind of in the country where you'd go to the river and throw rocks and go and catch crawdads. Anybody know how to catch crawdads? Anybody have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay. They look like river lobsters, all right? Uh, so, you know, you go catch, the, you know, catch animals, whatever. So we're, we go to, this, we go to this, uh, this river, and there were these geese there, like geese that are like this tall, these massive, and there was, there was a whole horde of them, right? Um, and they like attacked me as a kid. Like they're running at me and like pecking at me and like that is terrifying. And I still, I'm like, even now if I see a goose, like I, if I'm like jogging and there's like a lake and there's geese around, I'm like, I just make a wide circle because I don't want, right? <laughs> the, ge- the geese attacked me. It's, I'm still scarred from the geese attack, right? So the people here are under attack. They're saying, hey, we are under attack right now. They're coming. And the scripture tells us who these enemies are. What are they like? Verse 2, it tells us they hate God. It says they are sneaky. They lay crafty plans against God's people. It shows us that in verse 3. In verse 5, it says they conspire. So you have these enemies. And in the story from 2 Chronicles, you have three armies conspiring together, coming together, saying we're going to attack God's people. They're sneaky. They're crafty. They hate God. They are opposed to God. They are seeking to destroy God and his people. Geographically, as far as who these enemies were, they surrounded. They were in countries and nations all around God's people. In verses 6 through 8, we see these were the enemies of Israel, the ones attacking them. These are the names that are given there. The tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagrites, Gabel. And so it goes through and gives a list of describing who these people are. But in general, here's who they were. They were people and nations who opposed God, who had gone their own way, who had sought after other gods and rejected the one true God. And they said, we want to destroy God's people. We want to wipe them out. The Israelite people were under attack. People were coming to destroy them, to seek to wipe them out. And so they asked God to do something, right? They said, God, Don't be silent. Our enemies were under attack now. They are crying out. They are desperate. Which goes to point number three. They cry out, destroy our enemies. In verses 9 through 15, they are asking God to wipe them out, to destroy their enemies. And when you read through these verses, you could take time to go back and see each individual account of what they're talking about. Right? He says, do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin. These are stories from the book of Judges of ways that God had protected his people in the past and continues on with other ways that God had shown his power and his victory. They recount the ways that God had shown himself powerful, the ways that he had rescued people in the past. So they're saying, God, we know you can do it. We remember what you've done. You have been victorious. You have protected us. They're reminding themselves and reminding God of saying, God, please save us like you've done in the past. And there's an underlying belief here for them to say, God, destroy our enemies. There's an underlying belief that God is the one true God above all other gods. So these types of prayers are based out of a desire for holiness, a hatred of sin, and a desire for God to be glorified. They're not just spiteful against these nations. They're saying, God, would you destroy these enemies so that you will be glorified? 
Would you push them back? Would you protect us and save us because we are your covenant people? These imprecatory psalms are a plea, a cry for God's kingdom to come. So when they say destroy our enemies, think about this. How did Jesus teach us, he teaches disciples how to pray? What do we see in the book of Matthew in the New Testament? One of the things that Jesus said was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are implicitly praying, God, would you destroy your enemies? Because for God's kingdom to come means that he is the one true God. He is reigning supreme in all other people, all other ideas, all other systems of belief are pushed to the side. We pray for God to be glorified. When we pray for God to be glorified, we are praying for his enemies to be pushed back and destroyed. And so when they say, God, destroy our enemies, the attitude is not sinful. It's not based out of personal vengeance. It's not like when we can just say, that guy's annoying. I don't like her. I don't like this. I don't like them. I want them to be destroyed. That's not the point. The attitude here, the whole point of these psalms, is for the kingdom of God to come, for God to be seen as who he is, as the one true God, for God to be glorified. These aren't shallow, childish, spiteful prayers. They're saying, God, would you be glorified? Would you be made known as who you are, as the king of kings, as the one true God? So when God's people are crying out for God to destroy their enemies, they're crying out for him to destroy those who are opposed to God. They say, God, destroy our enemies. Fourth, final section here. They say, God, show your power. This is the final section we see in verses 16 through 18, right? And as I've already said, there's a reason for this prayer, and the reason is for God to be glorified, for God to show his power. And even in a psalm that is seeking the destruction of enemies, we see a reminder of the mercy and grace of God. We see a hint of remembering God's mercy, because what do we see? Verse 16 said, fill their faces with shame. Why? That they may seek your name. So when they say, God, would you destroy our enemies? They're saying, God, would you show them your power? Would you show them that they are nothing without you? Would you show them that they are rebellious and sinful so that they could turn and see the goodness of God, so that they could seek you, that they could seek your name? In verse 18, it says, let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. There is a cry here that people would see who God truly is. They would see his grace and mercy, that they would turn from their sin and seek him as the one true God. Because God has always extended the invitation to repent before bringing judgment. And he does that now. Think about this. Because of our sin, we deserve judgment. But what is God doing to people all over the world? He's extending Salvation. He's extending the offer to come to me, to turn from your sin, put your hope in me, and I will make you right with God. We talk often, I've talked with people often about this idea of what does it mean that Jesus is the only way, the exclusive way to know God? Doesn't that seem kind of limited? Yeah, it is, but think about it this way. We are sinful people, and we have sinned and rebelled against God, and we deserve judgment and punishment from God. Why then should he give us any way? to come to him. He has every right to say, you guys are done. You've sinned. You have turned your back on me time and time again. 
God has every right in his holiness to say, you're done, you've sinned. But it is the incredible mercy and grace of God that he says, you've sinned, you deserve judgment, but I've made a way through Jesus that you can be made right with God, that God always extends to people a chance, a way to turn to him and repent before bringing judgment. And God's heart is that all people would put their trust in him and worship him. And so this psalm ends with a reminder of the greatness and the power of God and a cry for God to show his power and his glory even to their enemies. They cry out to God. They say, God, we're under attack. We need you to destroy them. But God, would you show people who you are, your power and your greatness? All right, so that's walking through the passage this morning, and you kind of see how it's connected to 2 Chronicles 20, and this whole time there's enemies breathing down their neck, and they're saying, God, we need you to save us and protect us. And we see the end of the story in 2 Chronicles 20, that he did. God rescued them, God saved them from their enemies, and God was glorified and made known through it. We think about our own lives. What do we do with all of this, right? How do we make this practical? So hopefully I can make this practical this morning. What do we do when we're under attack? And we can, we can understand this morning there are different kinds of attack, right? And we see in the New Testament, we see in Scripture, there is spiritual attack. That we have a real enemy who wants to, to kill, steal, and destroy. We have an enemy that wants to bring temptation, that wants to pull us away from relationship with God. We have an enemy that wants to bring discouragement and doubt and despair We have an enemy that wants to destroy us as people. Satan wants nothing more but to pull people away from a thriving relationship with God. There is spiritual warfare. There is an enemy who is attacking, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. There is also the complete possibility in our lives for physical attack, day-to-day life situations where we are under attack. And there are times when we face real enemies and real persecution and real abuse and real attack. And that's a reality. And some of us know nothing about that and some of us know a lot about that. But what do we do when these different kinds of attack come? First, I don't know if these will all be on the screen. Maybe one of them will be. I highlight the things that are supposed to go on the screen and I realize now that I only highlight one of them. So I'll just track with me. We're good. So what do we do? I think one of the first things we do is determine why we are under attack, right? Because I think there's some various reasons, right? First of all, sometimes we put ourselves in the wrong place. And our own sin leads to situations where we are saying, God, I don't know what to do. I've, I be, my sin, my rebellion, I've made choices that have put me in a place that I don't want to be. And that's different. That's a different type of attack. It's sin, right? It's the enemy bringing temptation, but sometimes our own sin has put us in places we don't need to be. And if that's the case, what do we do? We confess our sin. We run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. Would you make me new? And we look to Jesus. Determine why we're under attack. Secondly, it could be under the feeling of attack because of just the brokenness of humanity. The world around us is broken. We sin. People sin. People sin against people. People hurt people. I've just said people like nine times, right? But you get the the, the point, right? We face struggle and pain and difficulty because we live in a broken and sinful world. And sometimes the attack that we face is because of this brokenness. And if so, 
We cry out to God in honesty to rescue us, to guard us, and to bring an end to the attack. We can pray, God, would you rescue me? Would you save me? Because I am under attack in these different aspects of life because of other people's choices, because of the brokenness of the world around us and broken systems and broken relationships and all of these things. We can feel that attack because of the brokenness of humanity. I think a third possibility of why we could be under attack when we're trying to determine this, we, we can be under attack because we are on mission. Think about this. We can face enemies when we are seeking to love, follow, serve, and obey God. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're seeking to honor him and obey what is in his word and to do what God has said and to tell people of the good news of Jesus and to grow in your faith and to choose what's right and to live a life that honors God, attack will come when we are on mission. And so, point number two in this, what do we do? Determine why we're under attack. And the next thing is consider the cost. I don't know if that's up there, right? It's okay. Been, been typing furiously to keep up with me, all right? So, first, we determine why we're under attack. Secondly, we consider the cost. This is, this is attached to that point of what I just said of because we're on mission. When we live on mission to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God, we will have a very real understanding of the enemies of God. We will feel this psalm in a deeper way because living on mission puts us on the front lines of the spiritual battle. It puts us in a place where we are saying, I am seeking to see Jesus glorified. I am living my life so that people would know who God is. And the enemy will come against that. The enemy will come against people who are seeking to proclaim him. And you and I have to consider the cost. We have to say, will I obey? Will I step out in faith even if it means that there can be attack? Whether spiritual or physical or whatever it is, will I obey God? Will I stand up for what's right if people make fun of me? Will I choose the right thing if people push back against that? If people say I'm crazy? Because attack, spiritual attack or persecution or the things that come from outside us, those, those things, it doesn't come to those who will easily drop their beliefs. Right? You want to know how to stop persecution? Stop believing in Jesus. Stop proclaiming Jesus as the, as the only way to God. And no one cares, right? Everybody's like, fine, good, right? So anyone who's willing to kind of compromise and say, yeah, I don't really want, I won't really believe that too much, right? You can stop the attack. So we have to consider the cost of saying, what does it mean for me to obey God, to obey his word, to live on mission? If you go to the ocean and you don't want to worry about sharks, then just don't get in the water, right? It's pretty simple, right? But if you want to be in the ocean, which the ocean's really cool. I think, you know, playing in the waves. And I don't know how to surf, but that'd be cool. You know, whatever. Being in the ocean, it's cool. But if you want to do that, you know there could be sharks. Right? So think about that. We have to consider the cost. Do we want to step out in faith and say, God, I will trust you. I will live my life to see Jesus glorified and made known. And we have to consider that cost of knowing that the enemy will push back against that. And finally... So determine why we're under attack. Consider the cost. And the final point here in this part is put our trust in God. To trust him. Because this is the heart of this prayer in Psalm 83. The people are crying out to God to act. They're saying, God, would you do something? Why? They're saying that because they trust him. 
They trust what he's done in the past. They trust his faithfulness and who he is and what he has done. And we cry out to God and we trust him to guard and care for us. We trust him to fight our battles. What did God tell the Israelite people in 2 Chronicles 20? He said, you will not have to fight. He says, the battle is not yours, the battle is God's. And they were able to trust God and say, okay, God, we trust you. We don't have to fight this battle on our own. We have a God who fights for us. In Psalm 27, this will be on the screen, verses 1 through 3. I just want to read this. And we think about these types of psalms and the, the, this, this prayer for God to push back enemies. Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. This is trust in God. Say, even if an army is coming against me, I put my trust in God. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He is the stronghold. Why should I fear anyone else? Why should I be afraid? Because my life is in God's hands. The war rise against me, yet will I be confident. How do we say this? How do we say this with honesty? We say it when we turn to God and say, God, my trust is in you. I have to trust you because I have nowhere else to turn. And when we see all that's broken in our world, our hearts can cry out and say, come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. God, destroy your enemies. God, push back anyone in any system in any ideological thing that is opposed to God. And we can pray and ask God that they crumble. Why? So that God alone is worshipped. So that people will see the goodness and the power of God. That when we face enemies, we look to God. And we put our trust in him. And we don't pray these prayers out of I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. God destroy them. We say, God, we just want to see Jesus glorified. And if we want to see Jesus glorified, it means that God is going to push back darkness, is going to push back the enemy so that Jesus is glorified and made known. As we close, what do we do? What if God doesn't do something that we're crying out for? What if we feel that attack and we feel that pressure and all of these things and we're standing back and saying, it doesn't feel like the enemies are stopped, are stopping. It doesn't feel like God is rescuing me. What do we do in those? Part of my answer is, I don't know. I don't know how to make it stop. But in the middle of that, we say, God, I trust you. I cling to you. I hold on to you. We remind ourselves that Christ is enough. He is sufficient. We remember that God has promised to be with us in the middle of suffering. God has not promised us that we won't have suffering, that we won't have pain and difficulty, but he says, I will be with you in the middle of it. What else do we do? We get help. We go to other people. We get together with other Christians and other believers and we say, pray, let's pray together. Let's worship together. Let's get into God's word. What do we do when we're saying, God, I need you to rescue, but I don't know how. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know what to do. We trust in the Lord. We get help. We get around other people and we say, let's pray together. Let's lean on God. 
And sometimes the end, we don't know when the end will come, but we have hope in more than just this world. We have hope in eternity, that one day Christ will return, that all will be restored, all will be made new, and he is victorious. And we think about this process of facing enemies. The process of facing these enemies starts in our own hearts. When we understand that you and I were once without Christ, we are enemies of God. When we think about that idea of saying, God, would you destroy your enemies? We've got to be careful with that, right? <laughs> in a sense, if we have not put our faith in Jesus, then we are the ones deserving to be destroyed because of our sin. That God is a righteous judge and he judges sin. We were once enemies of God, deserving of judgment, because of Jesus, God has shown his mercy to us. That, if you are a Christian this morning, that is your story. That you were once an enemy of God. But God has shown his mercy. And through Jesus, he has made a way that we can know him. And if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you have never come to the point in your life where you say, I believe that Jesus is the way that I can know God. The reality, the harsh reality this morning is that you are, according to God's word, an enemy of God. Meaning that your sin, and your, your sin and your rebellion is saying, God, I don't want you. I want to do things my own way. And because of sin, we deserve judgment. But what does God say? He says, but I love you. And I have sent my son, Jesus. And Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose again so that we can turn to Jesus and put our faith in him and say, Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Would you make me new? Would you remove my rebellion, my unrighteousness, my uncleanness, and would you make me holy? Would you make me pure? And God does that because of his grace and his love, and he has put his judgment upon Jesus. And Jesus has taken our place so that we can be in relationship with God. And not just that, Jesus has risen from the dead. He has defeated the evil one. He has defeated Satan. And what's more, Jesus is coming again. He will be glorified. He will be victorious. He will once and for all destroy the enemy. And so when we say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, God be glorified, it's leading up to this day, someday in the future, where Jesus is glorified above all. Where scripture says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He will be victorious. And we can place our lives and our trust in God. We can cry out for him to rescue us because he is good and he is strong. We're going to take time this morning to worship, to sing together, take time to respond. What is God doing in your heart? This morning, maybe you're just saying, I'm facing difficulty and struggle. And you may, you may need to say, where is it coming from? Why is this happening? And, and, and understand that maybe, hey, maybe there's things I'm doing that I need to stop doing. Or maybe you just need someone to pray with you and just say, hey, we're with you. Or maybe you need to pray, God, would you push back the enemies that are seeking to destroy because we want nothing more but to see the name of Jesus glorified. Maybe this morning you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to say, I have never humbled myself and put my faith in Jesus as the only way to God.